Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Instagram at instagram.com slash greatdetectives and over on Twitter at Radio Detectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net, or become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. The original air date, April the 2nd, 1952, and the title is Trouble at the Suez. <laughs> Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men, transcribed stories of the undercover operation of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. Now here is Douglas Fairbanks. In Cairo tonight... There is rioting on the campus of El Hajar University. In every coffee shop, Egyptian turns on Egyptian. Pashas and Fellahins alike. Brother against brother. And all over the big ditch that cuts through the sands of Egypt, the Suez Canal. For whichever controls the Suez Canal, free men or conquerors, controls the world. It was because of the delicacy of the international situation that special agents of this country were asked to assist British intelligence to circumvent a certain radical element from gaining control of the Suez Canal. In our story, I will assume the identity of Special Agent Charles Wakefield in the file case entitled Trouble at Suez, in which only the names and places are fictional. Probably the hardest thing a special agent is ever asked to do is to wait. To move to a town, in this case, Port Sudan on the Red Sea, and to set up false identity. I carried a portable typewriter and reams of paper to support the claim that I was a writer. But when you're doing counter-espionage, you're often merely a chain and a link. All I'd been told to do was to wait. Someone would contact me. Someone would pass on to me certain papers, which I, in turn, would deliver to my contact in Suez. But three weeks had passed... Three weeks of monotony. From my hotel window, I had seen the Red Sea filled with boats of all sizes carrying Muslim pilgrims to Mecca. And now, from that same window, I was watching them flood back into Port Sudan, wondering how much longer I'd just sit when... Hello? Wakefield? Yes? Would you come to the British consulate immediately? Yes, of course. tea. I'd offer you coffee. I know you Americans like coffee so well, but my cook is Arabian, and it always turns out as thick as mud and as strong as lye. <laughs> I know what you mean. No, I'll, I'll take tea, thanks. Yes, by all means. Milk or lemon? Neither, thanks. Just plain, just as it comes. I'm sorry I haven't gotten around to seeing you before, Wakefield. 
Meant to, but bogged down. The pilgrims present all sorts of problems when they fill the city like this. Forgive me for being impatient, yes, but I... Yes, of course, of course. You want to get to the business at hand. Yes. May I see your credentials? Yes, certainly. Here. Thank you. It's a shame, Wakefield, that you had to come all the way down here. What do you mean? I'm sorry, but you've been taken out of the team. You mean I... I've been replaced? Well, you know how things get when you work so far undercover. A lot of overlapping. I don't understand. I, I I was sent here for a specific job. Why would they take me off of it? I wish I could help you, old boy. I don't know any more about it than you do. Headquarters sent a wireless this morning, that's all I know. Told me to bench you. You sure? Well, you're welcome to read it. Yeah, I've got it right here. Well, never mind. Well, that takes care of me, I guess. I'm sorry. Oh, it's not your fault. How about a plane out of here? Of course. I'd like to leave tonight if I could. Oh, now, hold on. It's not that simple. Transportation's all bottled up, you know. The pilgrims have taken over everything. No, you'll have to be patient until we've got them settled, and then we'll... Oh, patient? What do you think I have been? How soon can I get a plane? Oh, maybe a week, two. Two weeks? It's ridiculous. This is a terminal point, you know. Until we get the pilgrims out, every means of transportation will be clogged. But surely you can get me a ship or a train now or... Now, believe me, believe me, I would like to help you. In a week or two, everything will be back to normal. Now, that's fine. Now, now, why don't you go back to your hotel, take it easy, relax, enjoy yourself? How about dinner at the club tonight? Uh, thanks just the same, but I've had my fill of Port Sudan. Now, now, boy, don't get your wind up. If you don't mind, I'll try and get my own transportation. <laughs> I felt the consul was sloughing me off somehow. I was no longer needed in the setup, so it didn't matter to him when I got out. But he hadn't exaggerated the transportation bottleneck. The Muslims returning from Mecca had a corner on every type of conveyance. The poor ones, the Falahins, crowded the native boats, donkey carts, swelled the highways on foot. The middle classes filled the railway carriages and the Red Sea steamers. And the rich nabobs had every available reservation on the airlines. I just about resigned myself to being stuck in Port Sudan when I was approached the, on the street by a huge Nubian in a red fez and a dirty white suit. Pardon, Effendi. Huh? The word re-echoes in the marketplace that you desperately seek transportation to Suez. The word is correct. Suez, Cairo, Alexandria, any place so I can get to the Mediterranean. One wonders if you lack money. No, no, I lack influence. One knows of a way to Suez. Well, let's hear it. Have you the courage, I wonder, to attempt the Red Sea in a dhow? At this point, I'd consider doing it in a canoe. Then, Fendi, there is a dhow that is obtainable for a price. How much? One can always bargain. And this is a very superior dhow. Which probably means the price will go up. All right, where is it? Can I see it now? It is, at this moment, tied under a dock. It's for hire? Not for hire, Fendi. You would have to buy it. Buy it? I couldn't navigate it myself. I have thought of that. The owner will take you to Suez, where you will, in utter gratitude, return the Dow to him as a gift. Well, that's a racket for the boys back home. <laughs> you uh, do not relish the idea of Indy? If it takes me to Suez, I relish it. Okay, take me to the dock. Uh, one moment, Fendi. Uh, the money. I have it. In uh, American dollars. Naturally. And uh, you have it with you? I said I have it. A thousand pardons. As you say, okay, we proceed. 
The Red Sea has, through the centuries, been synonymous with intrigue and mystery. But as I saw it that night, the only mystery was how so many boats could be crowded together, all so filled with humanity that their gunnels were just barely above the water. You have found good fortune, Effendi, to get any passage at all. You can see how crowded the docks are. Where is this dow of yours? Just a little further. Right here. Underneath this dock. Where? Here. This boat? Did I not promise you? It was as he had said. A dow tied underneath a dock. But what he hadn't told me was that it would be so overloaded with passengers that the wash of a rowboat could have capsized it. There must have been 200 pilgrims, not counting goats, sheep, and an incredible number of children, waiting patiently to shove off, all stacked up like cords of wood, sleeping on palm fronds, dirty rags, and each other. Uh, this is your idea of transportation. Wait, Effendi. Where are you going? Do not leave me. It is only my wish to serve you. You've served me. Forget it. You are very cruel to me. Did I not help you? Did I not do everything in my power? You see, you are anxious to go to Suez. All I think of is to please you. No, I'm not that anxious. But what about my commission? I didn't buy the boat, did I? I've gone to a good deal of trouble for you tonight. You have money. Sorry. Yo, you do not leave me like this. Ah, let go of me. I make you pay. Oh. Lie still. Huh? I said lie still. Oh, my back. It's broken. Who are you? Where am I? Get, get me a doctor. I'm a doctor, and your back is not broken. Take your shirt off. Here, I'll help you. Oh, thanks. You're American, eh? Mm-hmm. George Asher, Bridgeport, Connecticut. No kidding. I'm from Boston, Charles Wakefield. Small world. Let's yeah. see that back. Oh. Mm. Bruised. Mm. George? Sorry, Sutherland, I'm busy. Turn on your stomach. I, uh... No rest for the medical, eh? I saw the big Nubian carry the chap in. Anything serious? The Nubian? He brought me here. Yep. Said he uh, found you in the alley back of the hotel. Why, the thieving... Wait a minute. My money. It's gone. Lie still. If you'll excuse me, Sutherland, I want to examine the patient. Oh, go right ahead, doctor. You don't mind my kibitzing? My room's stuffy. There's no one to talk to. It's so boring to wait in a hotel room for a sailing. Doc, just do something for my back, will you? Where does it seem to hurt you? All over. Here? Yeah. How about here? Oh, I say, old boy. He must have hit you a dirty crack. Nah. Uh, what was it, a pub fracas? No, I was just trying to get passage to Suez. Don't talk. Mm. Uh, Sutherland, get my bag for me, will you? It's over there with my suitcase. Certainly. A man can't be too careful in Egypt today. Can't cross anybody. How is it, Doc? Just a pull ligament. Strange. You could use a new bag, Doctor. This little black case must have seen you all over the world. Practically. I'll have to tape your back, Waterfield. Wakefield. Sorry, Wakefield. Uh, Wakefield? Uh, will that be Wakefield, the American archaeologist who made some important discoveries at the diggings of... No, um... no, 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 no. I'm just a writer. Writer, eh? Yeah. How fascinating. Would you mind moving, Sutherland? You're blocking the light. Oh, not at all. Writer, eh? You know, Wakefield, I've always felt that my life would make an interesting Inhale, story. Inhale, Wakefield. Exhale. Now, hold it. I want this adhesive good and firm. If it isn't tight, it won't do you any good at all. You know, 
I always thought I'd write it myself, but I've, I've never had the time. But perhaps you... Now, another piece. There. That too tight? Well, it's tight. It'll do the trick. Mm. Ah, feels a lot better. Thanks, Doc. Uh, I, I'm an elephant hunter by trade, you know. <laughs> you can call hunting elephants a trade. Uh, if by any chance you're sailing for Suez on the Malacca tomorrow... I could tell you all about my experience. Not a chance. I'm stuck at Port Sudan for at least two weeks. Can't get out. Oh, too bad. I say, maybe I could pull some weight with the British consul. It would be grand sport having you along. I've got such fascinating ideas for stories. For instance, now, very few people know that the Sutherland, other... we had better let Mr. Wakefield go back to his room so he can rest. He's had a pretty bad experience tonight. Yes? This is Brooke, British Consul. Oh, yeah. Good news. There's a steamer leaving Port Sudan tomorrow, the Malacca. You've got a passage on her. She's not the best in the world, but she'll take you to Suez. The Malacca? Oh, then Sutherland came through, eh? Sutherland? He's an elephant hunter. Said he'd talk to you. I know nothing about Sutherland. There was a cancellation. You're very lucky, Wakefield. Yes, yes. Thanks. Thanks a lot. After the first pleasure of the news, I wonder whether I was lucky or not. Now I'd have to listen to Sutherland's life story all the way to Suez. The Malacca was a squat, gray, ugly thing, as dirty as the dock she sat at. And, like all the other boats, impossibly overcrowded. At the head of the gangplank, a beefy-looking white man, the captain, was herding us aboard. Get those people on. Where's your ticket? 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 Okay, move along. Okay, you, ticket. Yeah, hey, I've got one here someplace. Oh, hurry up. Get it out. I've got a schedule leaky. Come on, come on. Can't you see my hands are full? Two suitcases. Nobody needs two suitcases. Leave one of them behind. Yeah, but that's my typewriter. Then right? leave the other one. I don't care. Doesn't that make any difference to you that I'm an American? Listen, just because we both come from the same hemisphere, that don't make us buddy-buddy. I'm on the Red Sea to make money. And if I can pick up one paying fare in place of your precious suitcase, I'm for it, see? Now, you got your choice, mister. Either put your suitcase off or I put you off. Okay, this one. That's better. Now, let's see your ticket and your passport. Here. Hmm. Charles Wakefield, Boston. Okay, move along. The place wasn't so loaded up with foreigners, maybe we could move some mass. I picked my way across the littered deck, climbing over whining children, goats, geese, and soldiers. I was one of the lucky passengers. Mine was a first-class ticket entitling me to a stateroom, or I should say, half a stateroom. And I was in the passageway on my way to it when the Egyptian soldiers stopped me. Please, to see your papers. I just showed my papers to the captain. He said they were okay. Uh, let me see papers, passport, everything. What is this? Why, why is everybody so interested in my papers? Who are you, anyway? I am a servant of the government of His Majesty the King. I am called Harut, and I wish to see your papers. Oh, for Pete's sake. Well, here they are. A thousand thank yous. Well, it is written here that your name is Charles Wakefield, and you are an American citizen. Occupation is writer... 
You're 31 years old, and... I, I know what it says. You don't have to read it to me. Uh, your papers are in order. I could have told you that. The matter is closed. Papers are in order. Proceed to stateroom. Thanks. Oh, I say. Sutherland. Oh, oh come in. Well, if this isn't luck, I've been wondering what sort of chap I draw to bunk with. Huh. These close quarters, it's important, you know. Oh, oh, not that I'm a snob. You know... I thought surely they'd put me with a doctor, but I, I couldn't convince that bull-headed Captain Rattigan. I had the pleasure. <laughs> Made me leave my suitcase behind. Yeah, sounds like the old goat. Yeah. Uh, look, why don't you stow your gear and, and come up on deck? They say it's something to see when Rattigan starts his old steamer up the Red Sea. You think it was a Queen Mary. I wouldn't watch Rattigan launch a rocket to the moon. I quite agree with you. But you wouldn't want to stay in this airless hole any more than you absolutely have to. I guess you're right. Yeah, I'll go up with you. How's your back feeling? Any better? Not much. It's pretty sore. Mm. You better take the lower berth. It'll be easier for you. No, no, no. I'm no, 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 no. Don't be foolish. Uh, I'll take the upper. Uh, I'm grateful to have congenial roommate. Well, thanks. There's a doctor coming out of the stateroom. Uh, uh, George. Huh? Oh, Southern. Look who's here. Wakefield. Well, I didn't expect to see you again so soon, doctor. You know my back. Excuse so much... me, will you? Well, what's the matter with him? Oh, you don't want to let the doctor bother you. He's a funny chap. Nice enough, but not really friendly. I suppose that's what Africa does to some men. But not to me. When I get out of the bush and back to civilization, I like to talk. Oh, listen. I think we're shoving off. Come on, let's go watch. I can't tell you how pleased I am to meet a writer. I've got such interesting things to tell you. And he had. And he told me. For two days. I learned that the best place to hunt elephants was west of Lake Tanganyika in the forests along the Congo. An elephant makes six miles an hour on the march. But it takes four porters to carry a big tusk from a full-grown bull. He's quite a hunter and very wrapped up in the sport. And I suppose it was as interesting a conversation as any to pass the time. But the third night out, the only thing I could concentrate on was my back. It had begun to pain me again. I, I went to look up the doctor. I hadn't seen him since we shoved off. The stateroom was just down the corridor from mine. I was walking toward it through an alleyway when I heard the shot. It came from his quarters. Then the door was flung open, and a ragged, bearded, and turbaned beggar ran out, away from me, out of sight. His appearance, as well as I could judge in the semi-darkness, was that of a very ancient man. But the way he moved suggested youth and strength. I hurried into the doctor's stateroom. Get out. Are you all right? Keep out of here. We're both Americans and you're in trouble. There's nothing the matter. Now stay away from me. I suppose you ripped your luggage apart yourself. What about the visitor you just had? Why'd he fire at you? He missed. Shut the door. Now, I can't talk long, but I know you're a special agent detailed to carry a piece of microfilm to British intelligence. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. My credentials. Here. Hmm. Naval intelligence. Yeah. You were taken out of the play because of a leak in the British consulate. But if there's a leak in the consulate and they know I'm out, they'll know you're in. They'll figure you're carrying it. Well, we have to take that chance. They know an American's got it, but two Americans, they won't know which one to suspect. Oh, now I understand my passage on the Malacca. I'm the decoy, eh? You might say that. Huh. But that film has got to get through. Sounds critical. It is. It's the enemy's plan to blow up the Suez Canal. George? George, are you all right? Is that the leak, Sutherland? Yeah. 
I've got to let him in. He's sticking to me like a leech. I'll try to talk to you on deck later. George, I heard a shot. Oh, Wakefield. No shot here. Funny. I thought I heard one. Here, Wakefield. Here are some tablets that'll help the pain. Take one every three hours. Oh, thanks, Doc. Come on, Sutherland. I'd like to hear some more about that run-in with the pygmy chief. That'd make quite a yarn, you know. I had the means to keep him away from the doctor, to decoy him, and I did. All the rest of that day and through dinner, I listened to his hunting exploits in the bush. But after dinner, I ducked him because I had hoped to run into the doctor. We had pulled into the port of El Corsair. For some reason, that wasn't very clear. I was up on deck. What do you want? What are you doing up here? Captain, have you seen Dr. Asher or Mr. Sutherland? No. How long before we shove off? When I'm ready. Are we going to stay here all night? With that inconvenience? I just asked. The gangplank's down. I thought maybe somebody had gone ashore. Nobody goes ashore. When I set out to deliver a load of people, I deliver them. Hey, look. What's that? What? Over there, coming up to the dock, all those soldiers on camels. There was a platoon of them, wearing the tent-like burnous of the desert over their uniforms. They came to a halt at the gangplank. Captain Rattigan talked to their officer a moment, then he called me over. Well, I want to see your passport. My passport? What for? How do I know? They're looking for an American for something. May I see your passport, please? I must insist. Uh, you heard the officer, Wakefield. Give it to him. Yeah, but... Oh, okay. Here. Passport is unfortunately not in order. But you haven't even looked at it. You are to come with me. Now, wait a minute. Radican, you can vouch for me. You said my passport was okay. It's out of my hands. I don't want any trouble with the military. You are to come immediately. Before I could protest further, I was down the gangplank, hoisted onto a camel, and galloping out into the Arabian desert. And in a while, I heard it, in the distance. The Malacca, putting back out to sea. The soldiers didn't stop, nor did they let me stop, and their officers suddenly lost his ability to speak English. I was evidently a successful decoy, if they thought I was the American with a microfilm. We traveled all night. In the morning, we came to camp, a Bedouin tent. There, I was allowed to eat and sleep, but under guard. Then we continued to Kina on the Nile River, where we stopped again. This time, the officer regained his ability to speak English. Mr. Wakefield. Yeah? Passport, I am happy to inform you, is in order. We have made a very ignorant mistake. But you understand American passport is a very confusing document. You mean I can go? So sorry to have caused you inconvenience. I bet you are. What are your plans now, Mr. Wakefield? I was going to Suez, but now that I'm inland, I'll take the train to Cairo. I regret that there is no train. What do you mean, no train? I heard it in the night. It it can't be more than two miles from here. No, there is no train. Of course there's a train. Here, sounds are very confusing. Audible mirage. There is no train, unfortunately. You go to Cairo by river. You don't mind if I try to get a ride on that audible mirage, do you? I am sorry. You will go to Cairo our way. Their way.
away was a mildewed river barge with an inadequate-looking sail manned by two native boatmen. The Egyptian soldiers politely but firmly escorted me aboard, then stayed on shore watching until the boatmen had pulled us into the deep channel and the ragged sail filled with a surprising amount of wind. And we were on our way downriver. To Cairo, I hoped. I sat on a pile of canvas watching the backs of the boatmen as they expertly worked the sail and tried to figure it out. If they thought I had the microfilm, why hadn't they searched me? And why had they let me go? Are you comfortable, Mr. Wakefield? Huh? You remember me? I'm called Harut, the servant in the army of His Majesty the King. Well, what are you doing here disguised as a boatman? The Nile is a pleasant journey. I was born not far from here. I grew up along this river. In other words, you're not going to tell me anything, eh? How can I tell when I know nothing? I have come along, as you Americans say, uh, for the ride. You know what I think, Harut? I'm the one who's being taken for the ride. It could only mean one thing that I could figure. They had caught on to Dr. Asher, and they didn't want me loose so I could get to him and help him. Otherwise, why take me into the back door of Cairo? And with an escort who didn't appear to watch me, but who never let me out of his sight. I found that out when we were becalmed at Armenia. It was time for prayers. Five times a day, Harut and his companion prayed, with Harut intoning the chant. Only this time, the barge was docked. A perfect chance to escape. I crawled silently off onto the dock. Mr. Wakefield, I should regret to have to kill you before we reach Cairo. I stayed on the barge after that. The Nile narrowed until, at the deltas approaching Cairo, it was no more than a hundred feet wide. It took skillful maneuvering to bring the barge in. When Harut's concentration was fully on the problem, I jumped from the barge to a dow, to another. Mr. Wakefield, stop! He wouldn't try to shoot me in such a crowded place. He couldn't hope to hit me. He jumped after me, but I was already ahead of him, and leaping from one boat to another, I got to the shore and lunged into the crowded, filthy waterfront of Cairo. I ran, not looking back once. I don't know how long it was before I finally stopped. Harut was nowhere in sight. I made my way to the American consulate, went into the front door across the foyer, and there was Dr. Asher. You made it. Well, that's a load off my mind. Well, what's more to the point, Doctor? You made it. You were carrying the ball. You gave Harut a bad time. Harut? Yeah. One of our men. Sent him along to protect you. He checked in here a while ago, very upset. Yeah, but, but I thought... Well, why didn't you tell me? Harut had a job to do, that's all. We didn't get you off that boat a minute too soon. You mean you had me taken off when the Malacca doctored El Kassir? Yes, and just in time. After Sutherland had my quarters searched, he became convinced I wasn't the American he wanted, so Radigan had the soldiers take you off. Radigan? That's right, an American. I was taken off the boat to throw suspicion on me while you passed the microfilm to Radigan. No, I passed it to you. To me? In Port Sudan. I would have told you if Sutherland had ever given me a chance. In Port Sudan? Yeah. <laughs> and right under Sutherland's nose. Take your shirt off. Where? How, hey, take it off, your shirt. You carried the microfilm on your back in a cellophane packet under your adhesive bandage. Well, I'll... Take be... your shirt off. All right, mister. How'll you have it? A slow pull or a rip? <laughs> Let her rip. Oh! Oh, my aching back. Oh! <laughs> 
microfilm was duly delivered to British intelligence in adequate time. And the trouble at Suez was averted for the moment. This particular trouble. For trouble still exists in Egypt and will continue to for as long as there is friction and misunderstandings between peoples there will be plots for destruction. The need for vigilance grows ever greater. And the work goes on for the silent men. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. Trouble at Suez closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you the story involving teenage narcotics in the file case entitled The University Fix, another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. The file case, Trouble at Suez, was written by John and Gwen Bagney and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in our cast were Ted DeCorsia, Shepard Menken, John Daner, Parley Bear, and Donald Morrison. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks is currently presenting Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture, Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. What if disaster hit your home? Who would help build and refurnish your house? That was the question flood, hurricane, and tornado raised for thousands last year. You answered that question through the Red Cross. Answer the call of humanity. Give generously through the 1952 Red Cross Fund. Follow the campaign of the next president on NBC. Welcome back. Well, a really interesting episode. So many twists and turns and so much mystery, which when you think about it, could have been uh, avoided if they just told him what was going on. Now, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Stephen, Patreon supporter since March of 2016, currently supporting us at the Master Detective level of $15 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for now. If you are enjoying this on YouTube, be sure to like the video you're watching, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell to be informed whenever we add a new episode. Join us back here on Monday for Casey Crime Photographer, and we'll be back next Saturday with another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.